Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. I want to begin with an epigraph from the great W.B. Du Bois, the greatest public intellectual in the history of the American Empire. He was there at the founding of the United Nations in San Francisco and on the way back in June 27, 1945, he wrote in the Chicago Defender, the leading black newspaper of the day, called The Winds of Time. He said, I envision, he almost says with tears in my eyes, I envision the emerging of a third world war with the American empire attempting to suppress Asia and stranglehold Russia. And he told his very good friend, Paul Robeson, that we have got to launch an anti-war movement but that anti-war movement must be but a moment in an anti-imperialist project. Because W.E. Du Bois and Paul Robeson understood that so much of the history of the species is the history of organized greed and hatred and avarice and resentment and envy, structures of domination, oppression, subjugation, and unbelievable exploitation. That was Cornell West at the recent Peace in Ukraine action in Washington, D.C., And you will hear more from Dr. West and others. But first, my name's Harvey Bennett. I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Jim Wolgamuth. We are members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Go to veteransforpeace.org. This radio show and podcast is on stations across the country thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We're also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by you, the listener, because it is you that keeps Radio Free Nashville going. And as a result, this radio show is then picked up by the Pacifica Radio Network so that we are heard across the country. So if you think this is important, just go to RadioFreeNashville.org, click on the Donate button, and keep Jim and I on the air in every time zone in the U.S. Oh, and if you support the work of Veterans for Peace, go to our website at VeteransForPeace.org. Well, the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent. We will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate complex who stand up for us, the global us. So Harvey is on assignment celebrating his birthday. So happy birthday to my co-host and my friend for over eight years. Goodness gracious, we were young when we first started this show. Well, Harvey, congratulations and to you and Kathy, and happy birthday and happy birthday celebration. I'm also on assignment with my family to Disney World, so today we're just going to share portions of the Peace in Ukraine Forum that was held on October 3rd, sponsored by Code Pink, Veterans for Peace, DSA, and other organizations, with host Eugene Purier and Medea Benjamin, with guest speakers Lee Camp, Claudia Dela Cruz, and keynote from Cornell, Dr. Cornell West. So, here is Eugene to get things started. 
They say in the mainstream media, the politicians, everyone, well, there's no way that there can be any peace in Ukraine. No peace is possible. No one wants to negotiate. No one wants to talk. It's all pie in the sky, all these people who they're saying peace. It's not real. Well, the president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, who of course led the African leader's mission for peace in Ukraine, said that he actually had a meeting with the president of Ukraine. And in his previous meeting, he had said, well, when you go to Russia, can you get some movement on unifying families and uh, freeing political prisoners? And he said, yes, yes you know, I'm going to bring this up. And in the meeting at the UN General Assembly, Zelensky told the president of South Africa, thank you so for what you're doing, because it's working. The things that you mentioned are starting to happen. And that's without any support from any of the major Western powers that are fueling this conflict. The issue isn't that peace is impossible, it isn't that people can't negotiate, it's that there's no political will in the White House and on And we really want to thank everyone who has sponsored this event, bravely I might add, because of course anytime you do something like this people want to attack you and perhaps vote vets would like to know. We have Veterans for Peace as one of our sponsors here tonight. We have two vets, both think and answer here with us tonight. So thank you so much for all of our time. We also throughout the evening are going to encourage you to become part of a coalition called Peace in Ukraine. You can find it online, peaceinukraine.org. You can join as an organization or you can join as an individual. But we have got to show the people in Congress what the opinion polls are actually showing. And that is Despite the message from the majority of Democrats and Republicans, despite the message coming from the White House, despite the message coming from the mainstream, or some would say lamestream media, <laughs> the majority of the American people, 55% according to the CNN poll, don't want to send more money to Ukraine. The majority of the American people want peace talks and negotiations. So why aren't those people in Congress representing us? And that's why we need you to be part of Peace in Ukraine. And we have the live stream going right now. There are thousands of people watching online, which is very, very exciting. So this is part of a global week of action. And while we are here, there are actions happening this week all over the country and all over the world, especially in Europe, where people are really feeling the pinch, the blowback from the sanctions on Russia. So we're very excited that we're part of this Global Day of Action. And we want to read you a couple of messages of solidarity that we've received. Raise your hand if you've heard of the great member of the European Parliament from Ireland called Claire Daly. Look her up online because she is a hoot. I mean, she is brilliant, she is fun to listen to, and they get one minute of the European Parliament to give their speech. And she and her partner, Mick Wallace, do these amazing minutes. So check her out. And tonight she says, greetings from the European Parliament. We join you in this urgent call for peace talks. Every day this bloody war of attrition continues. Ukraine is losing soldiers and territory. It is cruel to let it go on. If you care about Ukraine, you need to get on board with the peace plan. I hope you are successful in sending this message to your Congress. Right. Speaker tonight, uh, who is 
Uh, it's a little tough to be a comedian these days. Because <laughs> the world isn't so funny. Um, but he is a comedian. And he's a writer, and he's a podcaster, a news journalist, a news commentator. You might have heard of him when he had his wonderful show called Redacted Tonight, but that was censored. be a proxy war. And finally, if the head of NATO, Jen Saltenberg, has admitted this war was caused by NATO expansion, it might be a proxy war. Hope we settled that debate. Around $130 billion of aid has been sent or approved for this proxy war in Ukraine. According to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, it would cost $20 billion to end homelessness in the United States. We could end homelessness six times over for the current price tag of this proxy war. According to the UN World Food Program, it would cost $40 billion to end world hunger. We could have ended world hunger three times over 
for the amount we've spent on this insanity. We could have given everyone in the world, the whole world, the food they need, and then thrown in some flapjacks and grits on top for the fuck of it. We could have done that and still had money left over. And our military is supposed to bring security to the U.S., right? That's their goal, right? The, U- the military brings security. Well, my God, ending world hunger would absolutely bring security to the United States. Could you imagine how loved we would be? We would be like rock stars. We would, and we wouldn't have to bomb a damn thing. We would just be adored. We would be looked at like Taylor Swift, just people on the street like, oh my God, that's them. They ended World Hunger. That's them. That's them right there. But we don't do that. We, use the, we don't use the money for that. Instead, our government sends cluster bombs to Ukraine, which are banned in... Oh, you're not fans? Okay, I'm going to skip that one if you don't like cluster bombs. Which are banned in a hundred countries. A hundred countries view this as a war crime to use these, but not us. We're, we're good friends with war crimes. We, we love a good war crime. Our war machine's budget per year is $800 billion. But that doesn't count the dark budget that we don't hear about. So we're over a trillion dollars per year on war and death and destruction and misery. To put that into perspective, because my brain, I don't know that any brain can really understand it. To put that into perspective, if you make $50,000 a year after taxes... In order to make $1 trillion, you'd have to work for 20 million years. 20 million years to make one year of our military budget. And they probably still wouldn't give you the view from the window, you know? You probably... 25 million years here, I still can't get a good view. Still looking at the men's restroom. This is... You perhaps know that the U.S. spends about the same on military as the following seven countries combined. Maybe you've heard that. But did you know we also spend the same as the bottom 190 countries combined? We spend more on military per year than the GDPs of 175 of the world's countries. And we're only 4% of the population. We're this little tiny bit of people. That's it. And we're, I mean, look, if there was one guy in your neighborhood of a hundred people who was just buying guns and knives and bombs and mace and everything, would you be like, he's the guy creating peace. He's the the guy bringing us security. Or would you think he's a sociopath? This government is sociopaths who perpetrate an endless array of death and destruction around the world. The Brown University Cost of War study has found that the war on terror, starting a little over 20 years ago, has killed 6 million people. Huh, that sounds like a number we should never forget. 6 million These are just some of the reasons we must demand peace. These are just some of the reasons we must stop these maniacs. These are just some of the reasons we must keep fighting for peace, even as the propaganda tells us that more war is peace. War is peace. What? What did you just say to me? War is peace. There's five things I know in this world. That's it. Five things. One, family always comes first. Two, Never pick the middle urinal at a stadium restroom. (laughs) 
three, a person with many piercings should leave extra time for airport security. <laughs> Four, if a stranger offers you drugs, just say no. Unless you want drugs, and then say yes. So you get the, the drugs. And finally, war is not peace. It's not. It's just not. And that's why, actually, it takes a trillion dollars or trillions of dollars of propaganda, this propaganda apparatus, to convince this nation that war is peace. And despite all of that, the endless verbal diarrhea that has been sprayed out of the corporate media for over 18 months now, less than half of Americans still endorse this war, still want to send more weaponry to this war. Trillions of dollars on on, on propaganda versus, what what did we spend on a night's event? Seven dollars? Seven. Versus seven. These signs are homemade. Seven dollars. Seven dollars, and yet over 50% of Americans know the truth. That ain't a bad return on investment right there. No, it's not. Thank you for listening and keep fighting. Nailed it. Nailed it, Lee Camp. I don't know how you did it, making war funny, but you did it. Thank you so much. And we want to read a couple of other statements of solidarity. You know, we heard, uh, we were talking earlier about vote vets being outside the Capitol today, saying, more money for war. So we want to read a statement from Veterans for Peace, and I think we have a couple of the veterans people in the house here, so thank you. Veterans for Peace has consistently expressed our opposition to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and we remain opposed to the U.S.-NATO moves that set the stage for this war. War is never an answer, especially in our age of nuclear proliferation. As veterans who have experienced the carnage of war, we feel great empathy for the young soldiers on both sides of this bloody war who are being killed and injured in the tens of thousands, we know all too well that the survivors of armed conflict will be traumatized and scarred for life. We demand urgent, good-faith diplomacy to end the war in Ukraine, not more U.S. weapons, advisors, endless war, and certainly not a nuclear war. We want those billions of dollars going for climate correction, jobs, healthcare, housing, not for the profiteers who manufacture weapons for death and destruction. It is time to embrace diplomacy and peace for the people of Ukraine, the people of Russia, the people of Europe, the United States, China, for the children, for the civilians, for the soldiers, for all living things. We demand diplomacy, not war. We demand peace in Ukraine. When I think of our next speaker, I guess what I really think of the most is consistency. I've known her for, well, I won't say exactly how many years, but I can say I think we actually met in the very first time in the streets protesting the war in Iraq. And since then, whether it's been Iraq, Libya, Syria, you name it, when there is an imperialist war raging, bombs falling, children dying, people being starved for sanctions, really any injustice emanating from several of the buildings that are just down the street from us today, you can be pretty much guaranteed that not only would Claudia De La Cruz be there, but she's going to organize some people to come with her to try to build this movement like we're building a movement here tonight. That's right. She hails from the People's Republic of the South Bronx, 
And I also have to say, I, I also have to say, just like the Isley Brothers has ties to T-Neck, New Jersey. So before I say too much up here, give it up for Claudia De La Cruz. When I say people, you say power. People. Power. People. Power. When I say we want, you say peace. We want. Peace. We want. Peace. That's right. Comrades and friends, I am so elated. I am so happy to be here. And I am so happy that this space is filled, knowing also that there are thousands of people that are connected. And I would dare to say that there are millions of people around the world that are connected to this energy against the war and against any U.S. imperialist venture anywhere. And I cannot stand in this podium without saying, hands off Haiti. The U.S. has no business using proxy states to intervene in Haiti. Haiti deserves to be free. Haiti deserves to advance. We have no business there. I am very glad that we are here to expose the hideous. And I was telling Lee, I don't know how you have the ability to make me laugh (laughs) with the amount of horror that there is in those numbers. The horror of this war in Ukraine. But I am emboldened and I'm encouraged with knowing that we are here because we are committed. We are committed to build a society based on the principles of justice, based on the principles of peace and solidarity. Are we not? Are we not? That's right. It was March 18th this year, just a couple of months ago, that I was here in D.C. And I might have seen some of you there as well. There were thousands of people in the streets of D.C. that were marching against this war in Ukraine. And we were making the connection between this war and the war war and invasion of Iraq. 20 years. You mentioned the Brown University um, study. And it said that in 20 years of war, the United States spent $21 trillion. $21 trillion. Do you know how much it takes for student debt to be wiped off? $1.7 trillion. And they have the audacity to say they care about humanity and the planet. That is shameful. We were here to make the historic, to reclaim the historical memory, which is extremely important because sometimes it's very difficult for us to kind of gather the patterns, the psychopathic, sociopathic patterns of this capitalist U.S. empire. Because we cannot name the war in Ukraine without naming the system that produces eternal war. It is called U.S. imperialism. That is what it is. And that is what we must fight. The war in Ukraine is a U.S. war. It is a U.S. war. And it's a war that's outsourcing suffering, that is outsourcing pain and misery. There's a saying, out of sight, And we must fight against that as an instrument of war by the United States. Because for as long as the suffering and the killing is going on with Ukrainians 
And with Russians, they're okay sitting back and saying, let them kill each other while we expand NATO. And they don't care about the length of the war, precisely because the longer it goes, the weaker their opposition becomes. Ukraine is nothing, nothing but a game to them. It's nothing but a pawn in a chessboard, in a geostrategic move to weaken Russia and to get to China. Because they understand that this, wor that, that this world is changing, that people are no longer, no longer going to take neoliberal projects that people are no longer going to stand with the unipolar world that the United States has created. People are standing against U.S. homogeny. People are standing against U.S. dominance. And they're building instruments that the United States has no interest in standing back and watching develop. Why must we police the world? Why must the United States continue to militarize the world? We say shut down NATO, dissolve NATO. NATO has the same function. And I cannot stand here and not say this. It has the same function in Europe that AFRICOM has in Africa. It has the same function that the Southern Command has in the American continent. And these are instruments of war. These are instruments of death that do not benefit or advance the interests of working class people in any country outside of the US and most definitely not people in the United States. What are the psychopathic, the sociopathic patterns of the US government? First, because they're good at this-ish, they lie. <laughs> they lie. And they lie with no remorse. And they don't care to correct the mistakes that they've made in history. They just keep lying on top of lying. And not only do they lie, they demonize others. Remember what they said about Saddam Hussein? Is it any different from what they're saying about Putin and Russia? These are real things, things that we could point out to, that we could agitate people around, that we could educate, organize, and mobilize people around because they know they are lied to. And when we say that the United States military budget is close to a trillion dollars, because they give us these fake numbers and they had a lot of money, they're like, oh, 800 and billion dollars, right? But it's not 800 and billion dollars. We know that it's over a trillion dollars. And we say we need to cut the U.S. military budget by 90%. 90%. And we're not taking any less. Any less. Because we don't need that. If we want national security, let's invest in people. Let's invest in safe communities. Divest from policing. Stop Cop City! You want national security? Stop threatening people. Stop being the menace, because we know the menace is right up in the Pentagon, it's right up in Congress, it's somewhere sleeping in the White House. Oops, did I say that? Almost $1 trillion in military budget. We have 800 plus military bases 
all around the world. Let's shut that shit down. And I'm sorry if there's anyone that feels offended by the vulgarity, but there's nothing more vulgar than the U.S. empire. Nothing. Because the New York Times, you know, we could talk about the New York Times all day. I could preach about the New York Times. And you should all look into that. News Click was persecuted because the New York Times decided to put out some article that ultimately locked up 50 comrades that allowed them to raid 100 homes. New York Times is nothing but an instrument of U.S. imperialism and capitalism. Three weeks ago, the New York Times wrote a story about the staggering levels, the staggering levels of people who are dying, both in Russia and in the Ukraine. And there's a whole lot of people. I mean, there was an article in Mother Jones. Mother Jones could be really rolling in her grave because of the type of shit that comes out in that, in that magazine, but that's another sermon. Um, but they wrote this, this article that was really uh, telling in terms of how, how the U.S. officials feel and what they think about Ukrainians. So if anybody ever tells anyone in this room and anyone on that live stream that the people who oppose the war, that the people who are opposing continuing to send aid That is not humanitarian aid. That are instruments of war, that are instruments of death. If anyone ever tells us that we don't care about Ukrainians, you can tell them that that is the furthest shit from the truth. And you can point out to the New York Times, because they said this. In just a year and a half, Ukraine's military deaths have already surpassed the number of American troops who died during the nearly two decades of U.S. units were in Vietnam. American officials say that they fear that Ukraine has become casualty averse. One reason it has been cautious about pressing ahead with the counteroffensive. Almost any big push against dug-in Russian defenders protected by minefields would result in huge numbers of losses. American officials are worried. Listen to this. They are worried that Ukraine's adjustments will race through precious ammunition, end quote. So in case you didn't get this, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just set this straight. First, they said that casualties have reached about half a million. Casualties have reached about half a million. Second, that the U.S. officials are concerned with Ukrainians not wanting to die. They are concerned that Ukrainians don't want to die anymore and that they don't want to send their children to fight anymore. And then... They fear about the racing through of precious ammunition. Brothers and sisters, in struggle, does that sound like people who give a damn about Ukrainians? Does that sound like people that give a damn about Ukrainians? It is our utmost responsibility, and it is our debt to humanity to build a system that uproots U.S. imperialism. It is our utmost responsibility to abolish instruments of war. It is our utmost responsibility to build a society that places people first and at the center of all of its agenda. It is our responsibility to build an anti-war movement that is massive, that is rooted in our anti-imperialist history because we have that too. And so I pray that we leave this space filled with that spirit. 
and that responsibility. That we will multiply the numbers of people in this room and we will multiply the numbers of people in that stream because our people are ready. They are ready. There are over 160 million people living in or near poverty in the wealthiest country in the world. They are ready. They know what violence looks like, and they don't want it. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. So I don't know how closely you follow things that are happening in Congress. But a while ago, in fact, last year, there were 30 members of the Democratic Progressive Caucus that signed a very mild letter to President Biden saying, thank you for all the weapons you're sending, thank you for all the economic aid you're sending, how about a little diplomacy, how about a little negotiations along with that? They could only get 30 members to sign it and immediately, other members of the Democratic Party, like Nancy Pelosi, came down on them like a ton of bricks and forced them to withdraw that letter within 24 hours, and since then they have been silent. Worse than silent, actually, because they've been approving every single tranche of money for Ukraine, and they refuse to support efforts that are coming from a small right wing of the Republican Party that unfortunately are the ones with the most sane ideas about Ukraine right now because they're saying, what is your diplomatic path? They're asking the administration. They're saying, define victory for us because we don't know what it is. They're asking, how much is this going to cost the American people? And they can't get one Democrat to go along with them asking those questions to this administration. And this week, there's a lot of pressure to send more money to Ukraine. And it is just a small right wing of the Republican Party that is saying no. That doesn't make any sense. And that's why they have to hear from us big time. The issue of how much money it would cost. I also want to note, it would cost $70 billion to fix every single issue in public housing in America. So that means the US Congress would rather fund war in Ukraine than have people living in dignity in cities across America. That's shameful and it has to be said. Someone has to stand up for the people who have no voice in Congress and that's the working class. So now we're going to uh, have our keynote speaker tonight. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited that this treasure of a human being is running for president. When you look at the two other people that might very well be the candidates for the Democrats and Republicans, and you see Joe Biden and Donald Trump you think, what the heck is wrong with our country? And then comes along this beautiful human being who says that he's going to run and says that there is hope for this country because there are people around the country who want to see an end to war, who want to see 
the real needs of human beings being met and to want to move us to what the poster right there says that Anahita is holding up with Dr. Cornell's face right there, which is truth, justice, and love. The fact of the matter is there's never really been a time where we need our figures of public note to stand up and to speak out and to be counted on the issues that matter. There's been no time for quite some time where those who stand up and speak out end up being persecuted by those who are friendly to all of the crimes going on around the world today. But when the mass media is silent, when the politicians are silent, that's when the people have to raise their voice to change the political climate in this country and around the world. It's possible, it can be done, and it absolutely will be done with all of us when we have great leaders and great people standing up for us and standing up against this war. Dr. Cornell West, please come to the stage. We're honored to be here alongside you. Let me say that I am blessed to be here, but the crucial theme today is solidarity. We are in it together. We're focusing on the suffering of those friends who are known called the wretched of the earth, and nothing is going to stop us no matter how catastrophic the situation is, and no matter how dim and grim it looks. I want to begin with three epigraphs, just in order to set the stage. Sonny Rollins once told me that he and Coltrane would get together and speak for hours. But they were always concerned about what was the relation of the present picture with the larger picture. That's the synecdochic imagination, a relation of parts and holes. It's a relation of our present situation related to the past and the way in which pastness operates in the present such that we can be able to take a stand to authorize a better, more visionary future that focus on poor and working people. So I want to begin with an epigraph from the great W.B. Du Bois, the greatest public intellectual in the history of the American Empire. He was there at the founding of the United Nations in San Francisco, and on the way back in June 27, 1945, he wrote in the Chicago Defender, the leading black newspaper of the day, June 27, 1945, called The Winds of Time. He said, I envision, he almost says with tears in my eyes, I envision the emerging of a third world war with the American empire attempting to suppress Asia and strangle whole Russia. Why, in part, the legacy of the colonies. And the truncated character of the United Nations. And he made his way all the way to New York. And he told his very good friend, Paul Robeson, that we have got to launch an anti-war movement. But that anti-war movement must be but a moment in an anti-imperialist project, an anti-imperialist vision, an anti-imperialist analysis, an anti-imperialist praxis in the name of solidarity, which means it's going to cut across a whole lot of folk who disagree with each other, but they'll be in the same streets and go to the same jails. Oh, yes, and that's what's so deeply, deeply needed. Because W. Du Bois and Paul Robeson understood that so much of the history of the species is the history 
of organized greed and hatred and avarice and resentment and envy, structures of domination, oppression, subjugation, and unbelievable exploitation, and all we've ever had as a species are moments of interruption, moments of eruption. And that's when everyday people straighten their backs up. And any time everyday people straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because the ruling class can't ride your back unless it's bent. Yeah. All the virtues in the world are empty and shallow and hollow unless you don't have courage, which is the enabling virtue. And if we have any talk about an anti-war movement, any talk about an anti-imperialist vision analysis and praxis, we have to have people who are in solidarity, who get beyond their petty differences and be able to hold hands symbolically and literally and fight by straightening your backs up. The brother used to play organ in my church on the chocolate, chocolate side of Sacramento and Shiloh Baptist Church named Sylvester, but the world's Knows him for the genius that he is. His name is Sly Stone. He wrote a song called Stand. You've been sitting much too long. There's a permanent crease in your right and wrong. Stand. There's a cross for you to bear. Things to go through. If you're going anywhere. The second epigraph comes from Martin Luther King Jr. That's the same Martin Luther King Jr. was in that paddy wagon for four and a half hours when he rode from Atlanta to Reedsville Prison. And Daddy King told me, he said, when Martin, my son, got out, he couldn't walk a straight line. The German shepherds had disoriented him so. He didn't know when he was going to be bitten. He didn't know when he was going to be pushed against the wall. He couldn't walk one line, and all he could say was, Daddy, this is the cross we must bear for the freedom of our people. That's the cross the slide was talking about. There is no serious sacrifice our burden that we have to bear that will not allow us to sustain our solidarity to create moments of interruption here and around the world in light of the war machine coming out of the U.S. Empire. But if you're not willing to throw down, put your body where your words are. Brother Jim knows we've been to jail so many times with Carl Dixon and others. And what Martin said was, my own government is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. When he said it, he'd already signed his death certificate. But he understood he'd rather be dead than afraid. He'd rather be a corpse than a coward. That's what we're talking about. Because the gangsters who run the American empire They'll do anything to preserve their interests. They'll do anything to procure their profits. They'll do anything in the names of lies and crimes and mendacity and criminality to trivialize the suffering of precious brothers and sisters around the world but who are disproportionately chocolate. And each life is equal. Each life has the same value and significance. I'm still an old school revolutionary Christian like Martin King. I believe that every human being, every baby, it could be a baby in Palo, on the West Bank, it could be a baby in Argentina, it could be a baby in Ukraine, it could be a baby in Moscow, it could be a baby in Puerto Rico, it could be a baby in Guatemala, it could be a baby in Idaho. But the important point is, 
that we have to have that kind of moral consistency and ethical constancy. It could be a precious, precious young Iranian sister dealing with suppression in Iran. It could be brothers and sisters in Mississippi. And that's where the third epigraph comes from. The last speech that Malcolm X gave outside of New York City, February 16th, 1965, in Rochester. Went back to the city of Frederick Douglass. And oh, you get a chance to read that powerful speech. And what did he talk about? He talked about war. He implicitly invoked Carl Van Clausewitz, philosopher of war, and his text on war published in 1832, the year after he died by his wife. He said, nobody wants to talk about war. He says, I've been in this struggle now for 12 years, ever since I got out of the prison, and I was in it before the prison, but I didn't know it was Malcolm Little. He said, there's been a war going on against indigenous peoples for 400 years. There's been a war going on against black folk in Africa, black folk in Rochester, brown folk in Mexico. And he added, a lot of people don't like to acknowledge this about Malcolm because Malcolm said I'm for the truth anybody who says it I'm for justice anybody who promotes it but I'm first and foremost a human being a black man and a Muslim with his own deep religious twist and he said we need to talk honestly candidly about the levels of war because some of us come from a people who have had to have armor of spiritual and political and tremendous cultural power in the face of multi-layered wars. I'm a black man who comes from black people who for 400 years dealing with white supremacist bombardment every day mediated with predatory capitalism. And if you don't get yourself together you're going to give up real quick. You're going to cave in real fast. You're going to sell out and act as if you're in the vanguard for struggle for something bigger than just your narcissistic ego and agenda. Mexican brothers and sisters trying to get into California from 1846 when the U.S. Empire stole half of Mexico. Some of them just coming home. They ain't got the memo yet. That was an illegal war. It was an immoral war. That's still Mexico. It's interesting how some of these folks begin to tell the truth after. You know, like the war, the war criminal Henry Kissinger. Well, we didn't have anything to do with Chile, you know. It just was... Accidental that they overthrew it and they quit lying. Yeah. And then in the memoir, yeah, of course, the CIA was fundamental, it was fundamental, absolutely. They're gonna say the same thing about Julian Assange. Oh, yes, exposing the vicious crimes of the American Empire. Same thing about Snoop. Same thing about Mumia Abu Jamal. Same thing about H. Rep Brown El Hameen. Same thing about Leonard Peltier. Same thing about folk who told the truth. And sooner or later, truth crushed the earth will rise again. No lie can live forever. So part of our challenge is to understand the backdrop. And Europe ends up a divided, dependent, deferential continent to two empires. The Soviet Empire on the one hand and the U.S. Empire on the other. And with now the Americanization of the world and with the American empire in such unbelievable decline and decay, and it's undeniable 
Look on the streets. Social housing versus real estate development. Gentrification ain't nothing but land grab and power grab, just another cycle of what an imperial project is all about. It's just urban. Look in the hearts and minds and souls of our fellow citizens wrestling with levels of despair and despondency with escalating suicides and escalating drug overdoses, making it difficult even to cultivate the very capacity to love because love itself is a magnificent interruption in the history of the species given the history of lust and manipulation and domination tied to vicious forms of male supremacy and other such realities. One reason why black folk talk so much about love, when you've been hated like us, love is liberation, love is emancipation, love is subversive, love is revolutionary. The big Bombarded for 400 years and told you have the wrong hips and lips and noses and hair pigmentation and told you less beautiful and less moral and less intelligent and then you still have to straighten your back up where you can't talk about peace unless you're talking about the presence of justice and justice is what love looks like in public. It is. Just like cultivating the capacity for intimacy, tenderness is what love feels like. If you don't have tenderness and kindness in your solidarity, even as you have deep disagreements, justice tied to peace. And one of the sadder things during the Obama years, one of the reasons why so many of us who were critical of Brother Barack understood it was not just about policy. There was a time in which the black community was the most anti-war community in the history of the American empire. But here come Barack Obama dropping 71 bombs every day, 26,117 in one year in seven countries, walking around with the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a key sweat moment. Something, something just ain't right. Lies, the dissonance, the hypocrisy of it all. What has that got to do with Ukraine, Brother West? Everything. Because if we're not talking about an anti-imperial vision and project, as my dear sister and others noted, if we're not talking about demilitarization tied to decommodification, tied to decolonization, leading toward wholesale democratization so that everyday people's voices can be lifted to shape their destinies to get the oligarchs and the plutocrats off of their backs. <laughs> then no matter how strong our anti-war movement is, we're going to go somewhere else. Because so much of this is precisely about Human survival, as my dear sister said. That's what it's about. The self-destructive tendencies of the human species. We are a wretched species. That's retail pessimism. I'm not, that's not wholesale pessimism. I'm a blues man. Blues not pessimistic. Not optimistic. What is it? Prisoners of hope. Because you have to do something. Can't just talk about it. Sing your song. Engage in your practice. Create your solidarity. Sustain what you're trying to do. 
That's what we're talking about here. How do we demilitarize to keep track of the precious suffering of Ukrainian brothers and sisters, but understand that NATO expansion not simply was a provocation, but it's part and parcel of an overall pattern of U.S. imperial activity that's been going on for decades and decades. Panabal been invaded 22 times. Jesus, what are we talking about? Cuba six times. What are we talking about? Haiti. Looks like there's going to be another occupation coming. to fight it. How do we keep track? Vision, analysis, not be overwhelmed by it, but like blues folk, look the catastrophe in the face and not allow it to have the last word. Oh, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. B.B. King. Say, nobody loves me but my mama and she might be driving too. That's catastrophic. All the forces of the world and the cosmos against you and the one person you thought in your corner. Now that the whole planet has the blues, the whole nation has the blues, we don't learn something from the best of a blues people, we lose everything. The species, life on the planet, the sliver of democracy that's still limping along given the ways in which poverty and militarism and materialism and forms of racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and so forth are squeezing out the best of our democracy. And sometimes all you can do is do what our magnificent artists did to start this program is do what? Sing a song. Sing a song. Our precious Hasidic brothers and sisters used to always say, in the face of the morning of catastrophe, you weep, you're silent, and you sing a song. And I come from a tradition where the spirit will not descend without song. So in all of our analysis, and you've heard the data, 800 military bases, 85 countries, special operations, 160-some countries, 3,829 military units in the United States. China got one in Djibouti. Djibouti. But they supposed to be so imperialist. Ain't attacked nobody for hundreds of years. Now that doesn't mean that China doesn't have its repressive elites. I'm with my Muslim brothers and sisters when they mistreated the Yuga people. You got to be morally consistent. But Chinese imperialism pales in the face of the largest empire in the history of the species, 68th empire. There's been 70 empires since the empires emerged out of Africa. The United States is number 68 and has done the most damage in treating human beings as if they do not matter how many precious Iraqis did we invade, occupy, kill, annihilate, and nobody says, not nobody, nobody in the powers that be say a mumbling word. It reminds me of the unbelievable cowardliness of these same politicians. They can't say a mumbling word when 551 Palestinian babies are killed in 51 days, and all you could talk about is Israel has a right to defend itself. Please. Where's your morality? Where's your spirituality? Where's your truth-telling? Where's your care? What happens when it comes to your house? What happens when the catastrophe comes to your neighborhood and all of a sudden you want to be on the cutting edge of morality? 
that's, I hope, the raw stuff of this new moment of an anti-war momentum and possible movement. It takes a lot to create a movement now. You just can't call for it. You got to build it. But it has to be a moment within a larger anti-imperialist vision and analysis so that there could be possibly a new world. Thank you all so very much. Stay strong. You have been listening to the Peace in Ukraine Forum, sponsored by Code Pink, Veterans for Peace, DSA, and many other organizations, with hosts Eugene Perrier and Medea Benjamin, with guest speakers Lee Camp, Claudia Dela Cruz, and keynote by Dr. Cornell West. And as you have heard, most people worldwide, and even in this country, want negotiations and an end to the madness and so if you want to do more go to codepink.org and veteransforpeace.org and join a rally write a letter call your congressperson and elevate your voice and as you know as always we end the show with a song and dr west gave us that song as he was asking us to stand so here's sly and the family stone Thank you.